Hello, and welcome back to the Super Jump Podcast, a podcast where we dive deep into the art and science of video games. As always, my name's Tristan, and I'm joined by Raza. Hey, everyone. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year's. Um, welcome back to episode four. This episode, I think we want to talk about you know something that has been coming up in a lot of different ways, um, I guess over the past like 40, 50 years, when you think about video games in general which is what are the different approaches to building replayability for video games, right? Like you always hear about, do I get the, the what is it, bang for my buck, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen people talk about video games in like cost per hour. Have you seen that before? I, I think I saw this YouTuber once who was making his way through his backlog or attempting mm-hmm. to anyways. And every game, he literally created this formula of like Metacritic score as a ratio of time to complete uh, and time for like full experience. So they're like the repayability was accounted for in it. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty insane how far people will go to decide yeah. whether or not to play a game, <laughs> let alone to replay a game. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of effort in playing a video game, both money and time. So I guess it's it's important. And I, I think we talked about this in episode one as well of, you know, are longer games better, are shorter games better. But for this episode, we wanted to really specifically talk about replayability. And just so we're at the same baseline definition, as I always like to start, replayability is the potential of a medium. I mean, it could be outside of video games too for continued play value after its first completion. So whatever you define to be the first completion, because multiplayer games, single player games, they attempt to be different. Um, what's the potential of a, a player coming back to do that again? I, I want to at least start off with like, Raza, do you even replay games? Is this going to be a, a fruitful conversation between you and I? Yeah, I think this is this is exactly what I was going to ask you as well, is because I think everyone has different approaches to deciding whether or not a game is replayable. I feel like most of the games that I spend my time with are the story-driven ones that are like very narrative most of the time. And so half the time, the replay value comes in, if anything, from some form of like campaign replay with like new difficulty spikes and things like that. Uh, But very rarely is it like an end game change. Uh, And I'm sure we'll talk a lot lot about this. But in general, unless I'm like a massive fan of the game and uh, I want to explore like alternative endings or something like that, I typically don't just because I will like bounce right back to it, if anything. Mm -hmm. But then I'd like burn down more quickly because I've already spent so much time in it. And so the next gameplay or next playthrough just doesn't feel as fun for me most of the time what about you um i think it's changed over time and i mean we'll get to the different categorizations as i love doing so in my in my episodes but for single player games when i was younger i used to play replay them a lot but i think there were a couple factors of like you know i didn't have a disposable income to buy new games all the time so i would just play the ones i'd had and then second i i think Everything was kind of novel to me, so it was just exciting to do things over and over again. Um, but as I've gotten older, I think I've gotten into the habit of like playing through single player games as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 let's just get to the end, and then spending more of my time on multiplayer games. Um, and we'll get to that a little later. But I think one one thing I also want to add is like one deterrent that I've always run into was. Every game has like that part that you hate. Right? Yeah. 
And like that would all always be a, a kind of a turnoff factor for me when deciding to replay. Yeah, I think every game has those things that you put up with on the first playthrough because you're either waiting for the next story beat or you're like excited by the newness of the combat loop that you're fine with dealing with it. But then when you go through it a second time and you can't avoid any of those uh, those annoying tidbits, it's mm-hmm. a, it gets a lot harder to push through. Um, even recently, I was trying to get through God of War Ragnarok again for a second playthrough, but I put 50 hours into that game for a first playthrough. And so... Yeah. As much as I love that game, I had to like call myself out on it and and like take a break and just come back down the road when New Game Plus or something else comes out because I was starting to not even enjoy it anymore. Yeah, I I've I've had many examples of things like that where I think at this point I have like a I have my own definition of like a stopping point of, mm-hmm. of when completing games because it, it just gets too annoying. Yeah, you're also working your way through like ten video games at the same time. Uh, yeah, it's time. like a second job for, <laughs> for 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 most of us. It doesn't pay as well, unfortunately. I well, wish if it anything, did. it detracts money from my bank <laughs> it, account. It actually, yeah, no, it definitely does. <laughs> um, I think that's another interesting factor. Is like uh, I feel like I read a lot of narratives from uh, folks that are like older gamers who naturally just have like real lives and responsibilities, you know, like kids and, mm-hmm. and shit like that, and they have a very limited amount of time to play per day or per week right and so like there is this commodity of time which changes whether or not you you want to replay a game or not some people's perspective is like oh i've already done this and so i'd rather explore something new but if you have like a very limited amount of time to play games and enjoy this hobby at all then for some people they just want to go back and play the stuff they already know is fun they already know is calming and relaxing right and so uh the needs and like the motivations for why a game is or is not replayable Definitely not just isolated to the game itself, but the gamer. Oh, definitely. I I think I I want to bring up another point because I mentioned medium, right? Not just video games at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like for movies and TV shows, I tend to be very passive. Like if I'm watching something new, I have to be 100% all in and pay attention. Yeah. um, Or else I can't watch it. So when I'm watching content, I tend to rewatch a lot of stuff like La La Land, I watch probably three times a year for some reason. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> That's a weirdly specific one to yeah. rewatch. Or like uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Netflix. I'll just kind of keep it on the background. And I've yeah. seen it already like a billion times. Um, so I, I agree with you. Even when I'm making a conscious decision of like, oh, I'm going to watch TV. Um, I am more of a rewatcher there compared to video games where I tend to like try to play as many games as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Um, Before we kind of dive deeper into how replayability is baked into video games, because there's a lot of different ways it can be added, I want to talk about a little bit about why this is important. Um, I guess we kind of talked about it, but uh, just listing some stuff off um, in a list, and Raza, just feel free to jump in. One, usually the sign of a good game. Not always. But things like... I don't, I don't know, Final Fantasy VII. Some people always talk about how they play it all the time. Or uh, Rocket League has a lot of replayability. It, it, if you're like looking to understand what is a good game, replayability may be kind of a good good factor to help you make that decision. Yeah. I think this goes back to your point about like what is like what do we even define as replayable, right? Like there's a whole game that's replayable. There's like missions that are replayable. There's a gameplay loop that's replayable on on like a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And so in general, I think like 
the best games are the ones that take their definition of replayability and do it really well, right? Like it wouldn't make sense for a game like God of War to have a very arcadey, uh, uh, you know, new game plus experience where you like change the character and make it very cosmetics driven or something, right? Whereas in something like Rocket League, it's replayable because of the fact that you just enjoy the solid gameplay loop. It's not like it's yeah. a new narrative or new upgrades or anything. It's just a fun game. And even though yeah. it's like a tight five, 10 minute experience, you can just keep doing that again and again, right? And yeah. so... Uh, I think the good games that are good at replayability are good at adapting what the definition of replayability is for the type of game that it is. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess that's true. Like, no game in Rocket League is ever going to be the exact same. So, is it is it truly a replay, or yep, is it just yeah. always a new experience? And there's games that are made to be replayable, which we'll talk about, I think, later in this podcast in this episode. Um, which are replayable by nature, but that's not a good thing necessarily. Um, Oh, yeah. So it's pretty interesting how uh, a lot of the dynamics play up. Um, And then a couple other points were, I mean, we talked about this right at the beginning. Players want to get the best value from their money. Um, Although I don't don't ever think that's a primary uh, motivator of like, yeah, it's like, oh, I spent $30. I need to play this five more times. No, definitely um, not. <laughs> if anything, the opposite, right? We have like, we have 10, 15 games at a time that we've paid for that we don't even touch because they're just in our backlog. Right. And so value driven is not really how I define most gamers. Um, <laughs> and, and I think the last point I had was corporations make a lot of money, right? Online games, high replayability. You can milk some money out of there. Even single player games, Skyrim is an example. Oh I, I, think, I think every single person owns about four different versions of Skyrim. So, you know, it's it's an important factor even on the um, financial side for companies. Yeah. An- another really good example of not a of replayability potentially not be a not being a good thing, uh, even though it's kind of present with Skyrim, right? Like they just keep releasing this game over and over again. Uh, but hey, some people love it. I mean, I have it on like three different consoles, so I can't talk crap yeah i i also own it on like two different i have a i have like a physical version i have some online versions somebody has to stop me god (laughs) damn it todd um okay cool let's jump into kind of how games build in replayability i broke this down into kind of four different categories uh, as i love categories um the first one's the easiest one which is the quality of the game itself, right? At a high level, if the game brings something that is intrinsically unique and high quality, right? One of those mm-hmm. like uh, that pushes the boundary of gaming. Think like Breath of the Wild or Final Fantasy VII or Undertale. Like, are players motivated to come back and experience it again? Right. And I think I think you and I have a whole bunch of things that fall within this category. Yeah, it's a funny category overall because it's the hardest one to define, right? We're basically just saying good games are replayable, but like what is a good game for different people? Um, But I think it is something you kind of just like feel out a little bit, right? Like you can just tell when a game is so good that it makes you want to keep coming back to it. And Mm -hmm. this is something that's personal for everyone else, right? Like I hate Pokemon. For me, it is not a replayable game. But yeah. for a lot of it's people, it's not even it's a not. playable game. For it's you. Not exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but for a lot of people, Pokemon is a very replayable game that you can kind of come back to. And so this is like the most personal quality, in my opinion. Like it's not even about the game always. It's mm-hmm. about like the 
the nostalgia and like the emotions that you have towards it, whether you like respected it as a game, whether it has like memories attached to you, um, just pretty interesting. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of subjectivity here. Th- this category probably has the most subjectivity. I guess bringing up like pushing the boundary games is too much of a generalization. But like, as Reza mentioned, it's all personal. There's a lot of different factors. I, I add a couple in here of like, there's the story, right? You know, totally. examples are Last of Us. Um, gameplay is another one. Graphics. Um, I, I have this one for myself. Product loyalty. <laughs> right for exactly. me kirby, kirby and pokemon, and pokemon. games yeah um so yeah I, I i don't think there's a right or wrong and i think honestly this is probably the biggest bucket that people tend to talk about yeah um especially when we ask them like what are your favorite games to play i think this also goes back to my point earlier about adapting the notion of replayability based on like the type of game right mm-hmm. like when we call out story as being a factor for why some people like to replay a game for something like The Last of Us, it's not you changing the story every single time. It's you just experiencing that one story that they want you to experience. Whereas in something like uh, Red Dead or Cyberpunk or The Witcher, the story is another reason why people come back, but for different reasons because of the fact that it's a malleable story. And so different playthroughs yield different outcomes, right? And so even though story is a reason why all of those games are replayable, the way that those uh, you know, devs have defined replayability within that frame is very different. Same thing with gameplay, right? Like some people mm-hmm. just like a really tight experience like Doom, where you're really doing the same thing the whole time. Uh, it's not like you're uh, being, well, okay, it's a creative game for sure, but I don't think it's the same as like <laughs> Mario <laughs> or like Breath of the Wild, where like okay. you're really pushed to be very creative with the gameplay. So yeah, I guess yeah, my yeah. point is, is like you either want the same experience over and over again, or you want the ability to like be creative and like try something new uh, different times. Yeah, um, and I think we'll get into that with the other buckets. Um, cool. And then I think we also added New Game Plus here, which is like, a nice to have as your replay for like for folks who don't know what new game plus is because i don't think a lot of games do this anymore it's like a small incentive that the devs put in uh to give you like a nice little perk the next time you play yeah. through the game again it's also like a nice uh way to revive a game a couple months after it's been released or like a year after it's been released a lot of games like god of war and forbidden west they didn't release with new game plus they just kind of released and then maybe like six months later or something like that, they end up releasing New Game Plus. And so it's a nice way to be like, okay, cool. We've had our first growth spurt and we're going to let it rest for a bit. And then we'll release New Game Plus and hopefully entice more people to download and like retry the game and then hopefully increase sales again as a result. So again, I think it like benefits both people. Gamers mm-hmm. get to experience something from the very beginning with like all the fun stuff they picked up and corporations went a little bit by just getting more attention for the games that they made. Always for the benefit of the corporation. <laughs> yeah. No, it's all about the gamers, man. It's all about the gamers. Um, the next bucket was kind of... Actually, the remaining buckets are actually where the features are sourced from, right? I think that's how yep. I tried to break this down to help steer the conversation. And the next set are features that the devs put in. So, like, you know, they actively thought about this they want to make sure this is part of the gameplay loop the gameplay rhythm that you know we always talk about and a high level is what are the variations to the gameplay experience you know it could be linear or non-linear and um that help sorry 
that the developer has incorporated to incentivize the player to come back and play again, right? And and the simplest way uh, they do this is basically making it impossible for a player to see everything that the game can offer the first time they play through the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I kind of turn it over to you and we talk about our, our favorite examples, like usually extra characters, classes, or parties, right? Like in Borderlands or Destiny or Diablo, um, many RPGs have class systems where you can basically p- play through the same game in a different play style. Um, multiple story branches, outcomes and endings. Mass Effect is a very famous famous example here. And then, of course, procedural generation, which is randomizing um the maps or challenges right hades is probably a prime example so basically if you think about this like experience that a user has how do developers add in variants to make sure it's always different even if they go through the game yeah what's interesting is i feel like a lot of the things that we're outlining here they're more applicable to like a different definition of replayability right like um for example new game plus you're getting the same experience the same narrative for the most part uh, but it's not like a net new, it's like you've completed the game and you're fundamentally replaying it from the beginning. Right. Right. But some of the things that we're outlining, they are things that you can continue to explore afterwards or mm-hmm. the actual experience is like really tight, like Hades and, and roguelikes, right? Those games yeah. are meant to be infinitely replayable. Practically. You can just keep trying different things, but the loop of a single play is like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, and so the flexibility that they have there to like allow you to try different things is obviously much higher than like a, a game with like a set narrative that you're just working your way through, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and a lot of games like that is the main intent that the devs put in. Of hopefully, Super Giant did not intend uh, players to play through Hades exactly one run and then stop not quite the opposite yeah i have more hours in that game than almost any other game i think i have 270 hours in hades oh, uh wow. which is shocking i played that game nonstop during the um during the winter apocalypse in texas mm-hmm. uh and i just kept playing it over and over again because they did a really good job of just like you there's certain dialogue options which literally don't come up unless you've hit specific conditions in a specific run and you can't hit all of them in one run obviously so you just keep doing more runs and then if you keep playing even after the main campaign is done then after a certain number of runs you get another secret ending that is only achievable after doing the game over and over again and i think the key here is like you don't want to burn out the character and you don't want to burn out the players and so having that balance of like new experiences despite the games being made to be replayable is pretty important. Whereas if they didn't have that, then I'd just get bored very easily and it wouldn't really work well or like balance together. Um, just pretty important. I, I agree. I think this, I mean, they talk about it a lot, obviously in game development, but the illusion of choice is very important. Um, Cause like you said, it, there needs to be some variance to make it exciting or you're just doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think there needs to be the proper payoff. I think Hades does this the right way of there's always that like one more ending that you want to see or yeah, I, at least for me, I, I can never make it past uh, past uh, heat three, heat level three. I'm, <laughs> I'm very bad at the game, but I know if it's I put in, put in my time, um, there's going to be a reward. Whereas things like Mass Effect, I think, is a negative example of, I think, yeah. players expected 
X amount of different endings, but everybody was just kind of bucketed into three main endings. Yeah. Regardless of what they did. I also think there's like a notion of switching costs in these games. So mm-hmm. for example, like in Hades, if I want to try every weapon and I want to try every variant of each weapon and try like a very different build every time, it's super easy for me to like switch between runs, right? Like yeah. I do one run, maybe focusing on like a melee sword build with very little like uh, distance or archery stuff. Maybe mm-hmm. I do another run, which is very cast and archery focused, but the cost of me changing my styles in between is super easy it's yeah. not like it's a it's an endeavor whereas yeah. in something like um uh mass effect, mass effect. dude i exactly you <laughs> you're know, like, like in mass effect 2 and you're like uh <laughs> i don't want to be a mean guy anymore well too bad you've already played 80 percent of the game as a mean guy so like there's very little you can do the last 20 percent. i yeah. have this issue with borderlands like they have the uh, they have three different four four different characters. Each of the characters has four different skill trees. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about six, sixteen separate skill trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to explore like a lot more of them, but I'm already like so far in one character and one yep. approach that like I'm not going to start over from the beginning and like uh, switch character, even though I want to be able to experience that. Um, and so I think this is another element of like well-designed games that want to be replayable that where it fits anyways should be flexible to some degree uh, quickly. Yeah, I, that's exactly the kind of the pitfall that I listed here of like, you know, players may not feel the same incentive to come back if the game is not fun to play. I think like Diablo has that issue too, right? Mm-hmm. People want to just play the end game content, but they don't want to, oh my God, can't, like I, it's for me, like. Demon Hunter, Demon Slayer, whatever, going from level one to max level just takes so long for me that I just like stop playing the game. Yeah. And, and it's um, interesting because it's also to similar games. Like I started playing Tiny Tina's after I played Wonder Borderlands for so long. Mm-hmm. And to go from like the super OP end game weapons in Borderlands 3 to the beginner weapons in Tiny Tina, I was like, do I really want to put another like 30 hours into building this character up just to yeah. have like the same level of fun? Um, and so there's some games where the studios keep making the same games over and over again between. And so like, I don't know. I mean, Ubisoft's getting slammed right now because all their games are basically the same and sales are being hit by it. It's like those games are replayable. We keep replaying them every year, but it's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. I mean, Call of Duty does the same thing. <laughs> That's fair. But uh, they, they, have a, they have a fun gameplay loop. Yeah. I wonder what their sales were like little... for Modern Warfare 2. A bit toxic gameplay loop. Oh, it's so toxic. Oh, my God. It's another episode. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think one other thing I want to point out is for Hades, I think another thing I really appreciate, this is the Hades appreciation episode, um, <laughs> is that when you change your weapons, the player has the agency to change how hard the game is, right? Like once you unlock yep. heat... You like, and you start want to play. You, you want to start playing with the spear or or the gun or whatever a different weapon. Basically, you can still change the heat as high as you want and as low as you want. Yeah, it's super flexible based on like what your needs are. Uh, and I think like some people would be like, "Oh, that's annoying because they like to gatekeep difficult games." Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's just I think the flexibility is a big reason for why that game is as successful as it is, right? Yep. And so I'm hoping future games, including Hades 2, mm-hmm. uh, which is set to come out. I don't know when it's coming out. I can't wait for that damn game. Uh, but it'll be exciting to to see. There's other games like Hollow Knight, which I really want to play. 
mm-hmm. which have the same thing around like flexibility, but they have too much of meandering slash like uh, the quality of life changes that could be made are not present from the beginning of the game. Right. And so I see. you keep having to put up with those non quality of life things, like having to yeah. run around, not having access to quick travel when you would like want access to tr- travel. I was losing my mind at God of War because I kept climbing everywhere. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> all right, this is fine in the first playthrough, but I'm getting really tired of this in the second one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'd like to see games be a bit more flexible when it comes to how they approach quality of life things for for replayability. Some studios try to do that in New Game Plus of like you carry over all your upgrades. And, but then it yep. breaks the game and it, it, it it's like a fine balance that that they really have to figure out. Yeah, totally. That's also why I think they're they try to take their time with new game plus releases. Like Cyberpunk still mm-hmm. doesn't have a new game plus mode, and the reason they cite is because they want to take their time in, in balancing out the weapons and balancing out enemies and stuff like that. Will they do it well? I doubt it. Uh, but it is a valid reason. Like you, it's not like you just release the game with the same stuff and you just carry it over and nothing else changes. Like I think to do it well and to have replayability do, go well in a new game plus mode still takes some tuning. Um, and it's not as simple as just like, oh, here you go. Free reign, do whatever you want, which is interesting. Next bucket is sourced from the players themselves, right? Like, so we talked about features that the devs put in intentionally. The next bucket are features that the players generate based on the tools that the that the game provides. So like, at a high level, you know, players come up with their own method to play the game, um, and usually developers provide the right framework for them to do so. And I, I think this goes back to some of the examples that you brought up, like in Breath of the Wild. Can you cut down a tree, then f- uh, uh, put stasis on it and hit it in a certain <laughs> direction so that it lands perfectly, like on Ganon's head or something, right? Yeah. So like challenges is a is a broad um, group of things here. Speed running, low percent runs. Um, I'm counting all that as well. Uh, mods is another great example. And Bethesda games are famous for this of like, yeah. Every time a Bethesda game comes out, uh, there's a entire modding community that Bethesda should be paying, but they never do. <laughs> um, and then the the last uh, one I had, at least in this group, and we can keep continuing to add, is is users generated content. So like games where the content is literally created by the uh, players. Super Mario Maker is a is a good example where the levels and characters come f- come from the player community. Yeah, I feel like it's we could simplify it even more by basically having two categories. One is actual content that other mm-hmm. people can interact with and like use in their own playthroughs. And then the second one is just like the meta, the community itself. Um, right? Like uh not talking about having like a a, a thriving online community to play with in games, but like the yeah. discussions that people have afterwards. Like Elden Ring to this day has so much activity in every yeah. community about a meta, whether it's like weapon balancing, lore discoveries, um, or like glitches you can do. There's a constant conversation in that group of people that mm-hmm. makes it so uh, it's very easy to keep wanting to replay that game. I think I played the, the main campaign like two or three times before I finally dropped it. Um, you have the same thing in FPSs and Borderlands, right? There's this conversation about like, what is the best build and how can we like game this? And that conversation just spurs people to keep trying new things in the game and then sharing it out with people. Yeah. Which is obviously like a different kind of motivation from the community than the net new content that you talked about, right? Like mods 
and new levels and actual like things that people play, um, which is it's super cool seeing what people can do there, especially the Skyrim mods. Holy hell, there's so much out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. Did you see the one where you can replace the dragons with uh, trains? Oh, uh, yeah. What's the what's the show? What's that show? <laughs> um, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas the Tank the, Engine. Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what's crazy is then you'll have studios that will work with these uh, user modder, modders, right, to yeah. generate content. Like the Witcher 3 next-gen update, they literally hired modders that had built good mods for the Witcher 3 and were like, come on, come integrate it into the game. We'll pay you. But obviously, that's like a rare uh, rare event. doesn't happen very often. I mean, Valve is famous for doing this, right? Portal yeah. was based on a source mod. Counter-Strike was based on a source mod. Oh, I didn't um, know that. That's cool. Yeah. So they're very good at doing that. There is a Skyrim mod, which is a whole other game itself. Like there's people that took, basically just turned Skyrim into an engine to build their own games with. Have you heard of this one? I, no, I did not. Let me look it up. It's actually a really interesting story. Uh, Skyrim. As if Skyrim didn't have enough replayability. There's a Skyrim mod called the Forgotten City, Mm-hmm. which was originally released in 2015. And it was basically just a game that was built on top of the Skyrim engine, right? Yep. And it was like a totally separate game. Um, and it did so well as a mod that the developers then actually ended up releasing it as its own standalone game. And I think it was even nominated for for a few awards. Um, and so I definitely would, I don't think Skyrim would be as replayable as a game or as much a conversation in the gaming community if it weren't for its thriving modern community, uh, cause they do not let this shit go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to let it die. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree with you. Like this needs kind of a bootstrapping of community that cares about it. Um, And I think that's the fine balance from studios of how do they maintain this player base and how do we keep them interested? Um, I don't know how outdated it's going to be at this point. It's not video game related, but have you read the uh, whole backlash with the D&D license? Yeah, I think broadly, they basically changed their uh, their gaming license. And I think in the old one, it was very easy for people to create content off of the base game of D&D right. and make it so that the game was fundamentally flexible and you could keep uh, adding third-party extensions to the game. And I think it was so flexible that it there was no money lost or money made as a result mm-hmm. of this in the sense that like they could have made more money by being more um, by being better about how they monetize this. But I think they valued replayability and flexibility uh, when they originally concepted it. But recently, I think they decided to try to monetize it more. So they changed the license, made it much more restrictive, and it pissed off a lot of people uh, to the point where they were like, we're not going to play D&D anymore. Like, we're just not going to yeah. release content for it because it's unfairly... Um, yeah, it's just unfair. I mean, going back to... I mean, if you listen to our other series, previous series, Loading Screen, D&D kicked off video games kind of i guess right? basically yeah and I somehow the they managed RPGs. to screw it out <laughs> yeah i mean it it's a broader conversation right about like people realize there's so much money in this industry mm-hmm. and gamers are willing to spend it right and so like 
it's just a balance between being too greedy and not being greedy enough. Because, like, I can get the need to, like, want to make more money off of D&D, right? Like, it's massively successful. Um, but the way they went about it really ostracized the community. And it mm-hmm. punished the people that made them uh, what they are. And so I think there you got to remember where you come from, which is uh, uh, something studios, I think, forget sometimes. Yeah. And I think that brings us to the last bucket pretty naturally of, like, the the last bucket that I identified of increasing replayability is a back and forth between devs and players where they kind of like build on the game together mm-hmm. instead of just taking the final version and assuming that it's going to stay constant. So like how do devs create the motivation for players to push the boundaries and also respond to those actions? I know that sounds very abstract, so I'll go over like concrete examples. Um, Easy incentives are like rating and grading systems. Um, Devil May Cry, Rhythm Games, they tend to have a rating or grading system that can be updated to kind of push the boundaries of players um, as they get better. Mm -hmm. But I think the prime example that we always hear are games with evolving metas and strategies. So um, multiplayer games such as League of Legends, Dota, Overwatch, Rocket League, they have a rule set. And Roz, as you mentioned, players always tend to find the meta or you know strategize with their communities. Mm-hmm. But then the devs come in and kind of shake them things up once in a while, whether it's new characters or map changes or yeah, gameplay changes that create more motivation for that community to continue to kind of research and play and figure things out. It's honestly hilarious to watch because <laughs> like I, I, I would follow like the Elden Ring patch notes every once mm-hmm. in a while because they would make modifications to weapons and the comments would just be full of people either really salty that yeah. a certain weapon had been, um, what's it called, debuffed and weakened or they'd be really happy that something had been, like strength had been added to one and mm. there's just like this constant tension in the community a lot of times of like no you were just playing this wrong if you didn't use this weapon well and it's like okay well the studio clearly disagrees because they just buffed it and yeah. so yeah the community is kind of constantly responding to the devs and the devs are responding to the community and it's like this back and forth where if it's done well mm-hmm. uh then like it's a ton of fun if it's not done well then it's it's almost like the opposite effect where gamers get pushed away from a game and don't want to replay it yeah, and for some games, especially the ones that support mods, like there will be branches of the game where they create their own version. Mm-hmm. Like in Fallout, I always remember there's like a there's usually a patch that quote unquote fixes a lot of the balancing issues. You know that Bethesda yep, didn't yep. publish. Um, obviously, that you can't do that with multiplayer games, but yeah, if if the studios don't do this properly, the community will like basically have their own branch. Yeah, I will say this is definitely like a very hardcore, like I don't think most, I don't think the layman gamer is like checking patch notes or like looking at the meta. <laughs> um, it, it's just kind of obsessive people like us. But it's a lot of fun when you do do it is you just see a bunch of angry people. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the other cool thing is like, uh, it's less about the game changing and like new game modes being introduced and that like live. I think like you mentioned this a little bit, right? Like, overwatch and league of legends and stuff like that the the game is constantly adding like new game modes uh fortnite is really really good about this right they're just constantly releasing new things uh that also just generally make it more playable and it's always reacting to the players wants most of the time too which is interesting and so we have four buckets that we talked about you know the quality of the game itself is it 
a good game, and this is all subjective, not an objective good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, features that devs put in, features that players generate, and then kind of a back and forth between the two. Um, and I just wanted to state, I mean, we don't have to spend too much time here. Like some games are able to combine these, right? It's not like a mutually exclusive list. Um, I had an example, Slay the Spire. I think it's subjectively a good game. Devs put in a lot of uh, randomized content and the community builds challenges and mods all the time. So like it, it does three out of the four, probably four out of the four because Slay the Spire also has patch notes. Um, but I just want to <laughs> state that, you know, it's it's not like you pick one and that's it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I also do think there are examples of games out there that will try to mess with or try to introduce new ways for a game to be replayable that go totally against the perceived uh, like basis of the game. Like the thing that comes to mind for me is Ghost of Tsushima, right? Ghost mm-hmm. of Tsushima is this like very narrative driven game. It's an open world. There are like some few choices that you make, but generally if you're replaying the core game, it's just because like you really like the story. Um, but randomly with no push from the community or anyone, I think a couple months after launch, they introduced an online um, game mode for yeah. Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah. And it was like, it was practically it was practically a games with a service with uh, like, you know, like literally seasons and online play that worked pretty well with cosmetics, but all of it was totally free. There was no mm-hmm. extra charge for it. There was no nothing. It was just like, hey, we wanted to launch this. And those two things don't go well together normally, right? Like you, I normally do not want to see a multiplayer version of a like a narrative led story. But it worked because they just wanted to try it out and give another reason for people to play the game. And they executed on it well without it being monetized. Um, and so I'd like to see more games be open about that um, and and like try new ways uh, of taking like non-traditional standards and still trying to make it replayable in, in like a unique way. Yeah, the, the funniest part of that for me is like the players didn't even ask for it. <laughs> they just got in they're like oh this is this they is really cool. didn't and they did way better than most other games as service games mm-hmm. and so gamers were just like this is great this is like a nice uh uh you know breath of fresh air is that the word yeah okay i think it, yeah <laughs> yeah you again. breathe in right yeah um, <laughs> um, I, that that's a good segue too because i think the last point I want to touch upon is, is there a line when there's too much replayability? Like when a company really forces it? Mm -hmm. The two top of mind things I had was like monetization of, I think this is supposed to say Diablo. Um, Diablo 4, any gotcha game to be honest, where you have to spend money to pull pull cards and you you either spend time or money to get there. um, Or even like in-game items, right? Like, yep. Borderlands is probably another good example that's shared between both of us. Even if it's not monetized, the fact that you have to grind and spend your time to get there. Yeah, there's definitely uh, games that will weaponize replayability, right? Because there's ways in Diablo 4, or not Diablo 4, the the mobile Diablo game that was released. uh, Everything I read, it was a good game. But uh, the only way to get some of these in-game items was either to pay up for it Mm-hmm. Or to literally spend hours replaying the same content over and over over again, right? And in this way, the game like makes you try the first approach of uh, just playing the game over and over again, getting bored, getting tired, and it wearing you down enough that you then spend money to just keep yeah. progressing faster, right? And 
I feel like games are introducing this. I, usually it's just like longer games, like the Assassin's Creed games will have like XP boosters that you can pay for. Yeah. And then the campaign will be like 140 hours. Um, but I do think it's a slippery slope with, I think like with the new Diablo that's coming up, there's been screenshots of stores and stuff like that. There was a leaked screenshot of the Suicide Squad game coming out, probably having a battle pass and XP boosters and things like that. And so there is a bit of a dark pattern forming in the industry to like make replayability a like a, a nag that like mm-hmm. pushes you to do things that you otherwise wouldn't do, which is frustrating. Yeah, I, I think it depends on like if it's the primary motivating factor for replayability or not of like Battle yeah. Pass is a good example of like if the game is good enough or the player likes it, it's like a nice bonus that you get all these like extra items as you're playing the game because you're already playing it a lot. But yeah. I mean, Halo and Call of Duty and all the Battle Pass games do this of like they usually make it incentive of like, oh, my God, look at this limited edition skin. You can only get it if you buy the Battle Pass and play 50 hours this week. Which is yeah, it's kind, kind of, of it's kind of it ridiculous. It's yeah. um, it, it's it just yeah, like I said, it weaponizes that uh, in, in like a pretty frustrating way. And so I think it really just. I think, though, there is a tension towards this anyways, like uh, gamers are aware that this is a thing that's happening. And I think there is enough vocal folks speaking out about this practice that it's not as prevalent as it might have been when it first happened. Like, think of um, the Battlefront games uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where like you couldn't unlock characters without XP boost and stuff like that. And so I think there's enough pushback to where it won't be like a defining thing, but it's something people have to just stay diligent about almost. Uh, when they're like trying out a new game or or playing it yeah not all of us can spend 30 dollars on a skin like tristan i haven't bought any skins in the you past you bought a skin for year. fortnite what was the fortnite skin that you bought that was like ant-man <laughs> that was like eight bucks okay i was playing with some friends and that's a that's not even relevant to this. <laughs> i just got cut all this out future tristan cut this out um Anyways, I think, yeah, that I think that covers... Wait, did you have anything else? <laughs> no. Okay. No, we're good. I, I think that wraps it up. I think the TLDR that I wanted to pose is that, like, not every game has to be replayable, right? Yeah, totally. And a good game isn't always replayable. Because I think p- players and gamers and reviewers tend to conflate that a lot of... A good game has to be replayable or, or the uh, the converse. But that I don't think I think they're two independent things. Yeah, totally. I feel like it, it really is just about balance, right? Like a mm-hmm. good game will have a small amount of replayability or the flexibility to allow for replayability. If a player wants that, it should never force it and it should never like make it so that it's it's like a punishment factor. Uh, if anything, it should just be like a rewarding <laughs> factor of like, oh, Go ahead. If you want to play it again, we'll let you play it again. And here's some extra perks just because you like went through the effort of doing that. Um, but yeah, I will say it's almost like a scourge because you'll have this backlog of like 10, 15 games that you won't touch just because you keep replaying the fame. This is how the episode was first concepted because I was complaining about a friend who only plays Fire Emblem and has been only playing Fire Emblem for like the last year, even though mm-hmm. he has all of these other games. And so I'm like, should we replay games? Should we just move on with our lives? Uh, wow. The answer with that is up to you. Whatever up makes to, you yeah. happy. Whatever <laughs> makes you happy. I thought you were gonna drop like a like a heavy take right at the end. Uh, <laughs> cool. Nah. 
All right, that wraps it up for this episode of the Super Jump Podcast. You can find all episodes of Super Jump Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Stitcher, and all of your favorite podcast directories. You can also find all Super Jump content where we honor the art and science behind the video games we love at www.superjumpmagazine.com. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you want to reach out to us for feedback or ideas, you can always do so at podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. I've been your host, Tristan, joined by Reza. Thanks, everyone. And see you all next time.